Well, as Matt said at the beginning of the service last week, we started a new series of messages, and we're calling it God's Word, God's Will, and My Life. And what we're asking is this all-important question of, okay, what does God's Word say about how in the world it is that I figure out what God's will is for my life? Or to put it a little bit more simply, hey, God, how do I know what you want me to do? And we talked about the fact that that is an important question. That's a question we want the answer to. And why do we want the answer to that? Because all of us are interested in living excellent lives. We're not all sure exactly how to define what an excellent life is, but we know we want to live one. And excellent lives are largely the result of a series of excellent decisions. Who you are today and where you are today is a result largely of the decisions that you've made. And that's true, by the way, also of who you will become and of where you go. So, hey, God... How do I know what you want me to do? Because whatever the answer to the question is, you can write it down. You can be sure that it's an excellent answer. And so that's what we're going to begin to talk about today. You know, and one of the things that we're going to see is that the Bible lays out at least six different ways that God speaks to his people today. But before you get too excited about that, before you think that I'm about to give you, you know, the magic code to the ATM machine of the will of God, before you are tempted to believe that you can ignore God and ignore his word and ignore prayer and ignore his people and ignore his church and ignore his mission and ignore his kingdom, and then just check in every once in a while with the magic formula that Tom gives you when you're actually interested in deciding what it is that he wants you to do and punch in the code, you need to understand that whereas the Bible teaches that there are at least six ways that God speaks to his people today, the Bible also teaches very clearly that God rarely, if ever, speaks to his people apart from a deep and abiding and meaningful relationship with him. If you want to know the will of God, you must first know God. Relationship is the key. It's absolutely huge. And you see that in some of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe our relationship with God. So, as Matt said earlier, you know, Jesus comes to us and he says, Hey, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not just the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. And you're my sheep if you have faith in me. And oh, by the way, then he says, my sheep know my voice. That is a significant statement. You've got to pause as you're reading through the Bible and go, okay, wait a minute. What's a voice? Because a voice is distinctive. A voice is unique. A voice is like a fingerprint. It belongs to one person only. And a voice is a medium of communication and not just of communicating words. I know my wife's voice. When she calls me on the phone, even if she uses somebody else's phone and it shows up, caller ID, and it's, you know, Bill Smith or whatever, and then I pick it up and I hear, I know that it's her. And I'm wondering why she's with Bill Smith. (laughs) I don't even know who Bill Smith is, but, but it's distinctive. I know that it's her, okay? But not only do I know that it's her, but I know what she's saying when she communicates with me. She communicates clearly. She communicates unambiguously. There's no, you know, element of the content that I'm missing in what she's saying. But not only do I know that, I know whether she's up or down. I know whether she's high or low, joyful, sorrowful, excited, depressed. The second I hear her voice, I know how she's feeling. There are all kinds of nuances to communication that comes through in the knowing of one's voice. Jesus says, listen, I'm the good shepherd, you're the sheep, and here's the thing. My sheep know my voice. Now, he's saying a lot with that, isn't he? What else does the Bible say? It says that God is our master and we are his servants. Well, how do you get to know your master? Through relationship, by serving him. I mean, how do you know whether your master is good or bad? How do you know whether he's generous or stingy? 
How do you know whether he's for you or against you? How do you know whether he seeks to advantage you or just to advantage himself at your expense? How do you know whether your master is one who comes to bless his servants or one who comes to curse his servants? Relationship. God is also our Father in the Scripture, isn't He? And so then we, through faith in Jesus, are His sons and daughters. Now pause and think about that for a minute. You know, I have a dad. I know my dad. I remember as a kid, so many times my friends would come to me and they'd say, hey, Tom, we're going to go do thus and so this weekend. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. Do you think you can do it? And I'd say, no. And they'd say, oh, you know, how do you know that? You know, I mean, why don't you go talk to your dad? At least ask. Give him the opportunity to turn you down. I'm like, listen, I don't need to talk to my dad about this one. And I don't need to talk to him about this because I already know what he's going to say. Why do I know what he's going to say? Because I know him. I know what he values. I know what he stands for. I know how he thinks. I know what pleases and displeases him. In fact, if I was to take this question that you're asking me to take to him and ask him that, he'd think, what, 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 are you serious? I mean, how are you even asking me this question? Is our relationship so broken that you don't know the answer already? The reality is that as I moved through childhood and adolescence and into adulthood, and even today, there was rarely a moment where I made a decision about what to do or not to do or what to say or not to say or where to go or not to go, that I didn't know exactly what my father would have me do. I didn't always obey him, but I knew. How did I know his will? I knew his will because I knew him. When it comes to knowing the will of God, guys, relationship is the key. You cannot skip the relationship and then just show up when you want to and go through this process that I'm going to give you. It's through relationship that you come to know His voice and not just to recognize that it's His voice and not someone else's. And not just to then come to understand what He's saying with His unique and distinctive fingerprint-like voice, but also how He feels about what He's saying. As you come to know Him, you begin to understand the nuances of communication And you come to understand more and more clearly exactly what His voice is saying. As you walk in relationship with Him, you come to know His character, His nature, whether He's good or evil, whether He's for you or against you, whether He's generous or stingy. You come to know all of those things. As you come to know Him, you come to know how He thinks and what He stands for and what He values. And all of those kinds of things begin to come clear to you as you walk in relationship with Him. You get to the point where on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year basis, you pretty much know what your Father will have you do. You don't even need to ask. You, you, you already know. How do you know? You know Him. When it comes to to the discerning the will of God, relationship is the key. But what about those times when you're not exactly sure? Because there were times in life where I did have to go ask my dad things. And then I learned, and I never had to ask that question again. I grew in relationship with him through these asking, through these times, through these trials, all of these things, but there are times in life where you don't know. Okay, all right, well, then the Bible tells us that there are six different ways, at least, that God speaks to us today, and we're going to talk about the first two today. And the first and most important question that you must ask, this is the starting point and oftentimes the finishing point, 
If you want to know the will of God, the first and most important question to ask is, what does God's Word say? Now, why is that the first and most important question? Because God speaks primarily to His people today through His Word. And sometimes he speaks directly to you through his word with regard to whatever issue it is. So you have this issue and you don't know already what his Bible says, what his word says, and so you get out your Reformed Study Bible, which is cool, isn't it? You should get one in the back. We're not making any money on these, I promise. And you turn to the killer concordance in the back of this amazing Bible that we're hoping all of you buy. And you start looking up all of these different verses about, you know, things that are related to whatever the issue is that you're dealing with in life, and you need to figure out what the mind of God is. And as you collect up these verses and read these verses, you come to understand this is what God says on this. And then the question is sort of like it used to be with my dad, am I going to be obedient or not? An excellent life is largely the result of excellent decisions, and God only knows how to make excellent decisions. So sometimes it's easy, it's simple. You look it up and there it is. But other times, not so easy. Not so simple. It's not clearly, do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I marry this person? Do I not marry this person? Do we move to Minnesota? Do we not move to Minnesota? Do I go to this college, this college, this college, or this college? You know, you're not going to look up in the book of whatever and it's going to say, Tom, thou shalt go to Florida State University. Now, clearly it's the will of God for all of your children to go there. What? But it doesn't say that in the Bible. But it sure does say a lot of other things, doesn't it? That's what last week's message was all about. As you come to a decision and you're trying to figure out what is the will of God and you lay your different options on the table, you are to survey them in light of what you know God says in His Word about all kinds of things. His plans, His purposes, His mission, His endgame, His goal for all of humanity and for all of eternity, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and oh, by the way, also of how He has ordained that we get there, which is by His Spirit, through people like you. So what does that have to say about my options? You want to think about that. You know, as you come to a decision and you survey your different options, you need to think about those options in light of what you know because he's told you and his word is pleasing to him and what is displeasing to him. You need to think about your options and survey them also in light of what he has told you is right and wrong, moral and immoral, ethical and unethical, because oftentimes those things suggest an answer. All kinds of topics are covered in this book. This is the mind of the Lord given to us. Everything that is necessary for faith and practice and obedience is contained in this book. He's a good father. He's not hiding information from us. He's saying, come to know me. And as you come to understand how he thinks, your mind becomes more like his mind. This isn't just some intellectual exercise. You know, I've got to analyze the Scriptures now so I can figure out what it is that God wants me to do. Okay, I'm in favor of analyzing the Scriptures and trying to figure those things out, but not just as an analytical or an intellectual exercise. It is a matter of relationship by which our minds become more like his minds. And our heart becomes more like His heart. And our character is shaped and formed and becomes more like His character. Listen to this transformative process. Paul puts it this way, Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. There's a sense in which he's saying, look, you're going to be conformed to something. So what's it going to be? 
And he speaks unambiguously. He says, do not, here's what not to be conformed to, do not be conformed to this world. And by the way, you're getting the messages of this world 24-7 just about. When are you getting the messages of this book? Do not be conformed, he says, to this world, but be transformed. It's not just intellectual exercises. It's transformational. Be transformed by the renewal of your, here it is, mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And what is the will of God? It is what is good. It is what is acceptable. It is what is perfect. It's what's excellent. He's saying that by God's Spirit and through the continual study of this Word, by the taking of the treasures of the mind of God that He gives you in this book and the continual storing of them up in your mind and in your heart, your heart becomes like His heart. And your mind becomes more and more and more like His mind. And your character becomes more and more and more like His character. That's why we're saying this year, here's the goal. Know the Word, live the Word. Take the classes. 101, 201, 301, and you don't have to take them in that order. Make worship where we study God's Word together and dig deeply into His mind, a regular part of the rhythm of your life. Get involved in a community group where we take these studies and go to a whole other level and get one of these Bibles or one like it and make it your daily practice to spend time in God's mind. That's how you relate to Him, and that's how you're transformed. You know, just about every morning I come into my office and I resist the temptation to read all of the emails that are beckoning me that I already know is there because I've got this really cool Droid X phone that I can't resist checking my emails on. So I know that I've got like 40 emails. They all came in overnight. They're all pressing. Some of them are really interesting. I'm thinking, what in the world is this person emailing me? I mean, they just beckon you. You know, it's magnetic. You you know, don't you? I resist that. It's hard for me. I take that phone and I turn it upside down on the table so that it doesn't ring for a while. I get down on my knees, close the door of my office, literally put my elbows in my chair and I pray because this life is too much for me. I can't do it on my own. And this whole idea of relating to God is a spiritual enterprise. It's not some activity-driven thing, though our activities involved. And so I pray for my family, and I pray for our staff, and I pray for this church, and I pray for you, some of you by name. I pray for our school. I pray for our city, and I pray that God will open up my heart and mind to what it is that He's trying to say to me as I try to relate to Him in that time in the morning and getting ready for a Sunday morning message. So then I get up. I sit in the chair now. I'm still ignoring emails and phone calls. I open the Bible. Do you know how many chapters I read? One. One chapter. Do you know why I read one chapter? Because as I've shared with you before, the Word of God is not fast food. It is not drive through McDonald's. It is a sit-down, big-time meal. I read one chapter. I open a little book called a journal. I'm not a big journaler. I don't write out my prayers. I wish I could. I can't. I don't. I don't write long flowing paragraphs. I don't want to give you the impression that I spend three hours, you know, writing page after page. I would love to do, I don't do that. 
But I write words, I write phrases, I write ideas, I write thoughts, I write principles. I'm studying God's Word. I'm reading one chapter. I'm picking up where I left off the previous day. And I'm asking myself, as I'm reading it slowly, why does he say that? Why did that happen? What's going on here? How must this character have felt? What am I learning about God? I mean, what does this story or this passage of Scripture teach me about my God and particularly about my Savior? And what do I think God's trying to tell me here? Is there a principle that emerges from this that I can actually write in a phrase or a sentence? If there is, I write it down. Is there something I feel like God is saying, I need to go do? You know what? You need to confess of this sin. You need to call that person. You know this conversation that you've been putting off for the last six months? You need to have it. Hey, so-and-so disappeared. You need to go follow after them, etc. Sometimes I write a bunch of things. Sometimes I write nothing. And one of the things that I've discovered is that oftentimes what God is teaching me today, He's not teaching me for today. He's teaching me for tomorrow or for 10 days from now or for 10 years from now. But the point is, He's teaching me little by little by little by little. And if I need it today, tomorrow, 10 days from now or 10 years from now, guess where it is? It's right here. I'm storing it up. And when I need it, it's there. And in storing it up, I'm coming to know the mind of the Lord. I'm coming by His Spirit, and sometimes He's having to yank me along to have the heart of the Lord. I'm coming to understand the character of the Lord and to allow His character and His Word by His Spirit to form my character. And as a result, He becomes for me really and truly my Good Shepherd. And I know His voice. And not just when he's talking, but what he's saying and how he feels about what he's saying. And he becomes truly, for me, the the good master whose nature and character I I know and I I trust and who I'm really happy to serve. And he, he becomes, for me, my true father, and I become his true son, you see? And the more that goes in, the more of his mind I have, the more of his heart I have the more of His character I have, and the more it gets like that relationship that I have even to this day with my dad. I know what my dad would have me to do, my earthly dad. You know what? Every day I learn a little bit more of what my heavenly Father would have me to do. And His is a far greater wisdom than any earthly dad. Relationship is the key. But when you're not sure on that moment-by-moment, day-by-day, week-by-week basis of what you're supposed to do, number one question, most important thing you should ask is, what does God's Word say? But then after that, question number two is, what does my heart say? Now, stay with me on this. The number two way I think that God speaks to His people today is through the desires of their hearts. And it's kind of logical. I mean, it seems to follow that if your heart is becoming more like his heart, if your mind is becoming more like his mind, if your character is becoming more and more like his character, then will not also your desires become more and more like his desires? In other words, you'll find yourself desiring for you the same thing that he desires for you. And in fact, that's exactly the way the psalmist puts it. David writes this, Psalm 37, 4. Now listen to what he says. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Don't miss that statement. He's saying, engage in this transformational process. Make God your treasure. Make God your pursuit. Make Him your delight. 
And as you do, he's saying, delight yourself in the Lord and he will do what? He will give you the desires of your heart, whatever they may be. It's fascinating. Sort of like when you buy your son a bicycle for Christmas, you know, and like now he's 12. So, you know, you know, he's not going to outgrow this one. Previously, you get him all the cheap bikes because, you know, in a year, six months, you're going to have to get a new one because he's grown. So now he's getting a little bit bigger. You can buy him a full-size bike now. It's a little awkward, but he can do it. So now that you're going to get him the good bike, you go to the specialty bike store. You get the bike with the cool wow and the amazing this. And oh, it has the latest that and the whoo, that this. It's the biggest, baddest bike on the market. It's light. It's strong. It's safe. He doesn't care about safe. You do. But, you know, it's there. It's like the greatest thing out there, okay? And you love the color. You buy the bike. You're so excited. You can't wait to give him this. That's the desire of your heart. You hide it somewhere that he doesn't get to see at a friend's house or whatever. And then you're driving down the road a week later, maybe the week before Christmas, and your wife calls you and says, hey, can you stop and pick this up? The son's in the back seat. So you whip into Kmart, not a specialty bike store. I've bought bikes at Kmart. I probably will buy a few more. Not knocking the Kmart bike, I'm just saying there's a difference. So you walk into the store with your son, you're walking down the hallway, you're going to go pick up whatever it is that your wife called you to pick up, you're muttering, if you're honest, guys. And your son sees a far lesser bike with really cool stickers. And it's the greatest thing on the planet. He is in love with this bike. The desire of his heart, this bike So what does the wise parent do? The wise parent pulls his son kicking and screaming from the cheap bike, gets out of the store after getting what your wife needs, and begins to educate his son on bicycles over the course of the next week. And you start talking with your son about what a quality bike really is, what a quality bike really looks like. Hey, by the way, a really quality bike has a really amazing this. Do you know what the benefit of this is? Have you ever seen one of these? This is the coolest thing out. All the kids and this is, let me show you a video on this. It's awesome. And not just this, but that. And then some of that. See, if you do this right, by the time Christmas comes, your son is going to want that bike, even in the color that you've chosen for him. And he's going to be disappointed if that isn't the one he gets. Now, what have you done? You've made hit your heart his heart on the, bike, on the matter of the bike, haven't you? You've given him your mind. You've taken your desires, which were far greater for your son. You desire what's best, do you not? And in your greater wisdom, you have implanted those desires into his heart. And then on Christmas Day, what do you get to do? This is so awesome. On Christmas Day, you get to give him what both he and you desire. It's huge. And so it is with the Lord, you know, through His Word and by His Spirit, as we delight in Him and we make Him our pursuit, He implants through this process His desires into our heart. We start desiring what He desires for us, and then He gets to give it to us, and not just on Christmas, but all the time. I want to pause and say this because I think it's important. God never places sinful desires in your heart. So if what all of a sudden you're desiring, because you're going, hey, God gives me the desires of my heart, and I think my desire is to, you know, run off with somebody else. 
That's not his desire. The desires of the Lord are altogether righteous and pure. And by the way, they always line up with what he says in his word. That's why question number one is what does the word say? Question number two is what does my heart say? But David does say that if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart, whatever they may be. Delight yourself in the Lord, guys, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And when He does, ah, it's so nice. For it is what He wants, and it is what you want. When you're trying to discern the will of God, question number one, what does God's Word say? And then question number two, What does your heart say? Because if by His Spirit and through that regular time with Him and His Word, He is giving you His mind, He is giving you His heart, He is forming and shaping and developing your character to be like His character, then you can begin to trust your heart. He's going to implant His desires, which, by the way, will always line up with His Word. It's question number two, into your heart. What does your heart say? All right, we'll come back next week and we'll talk about the next two things. Father, we do thank You that You do not hide from us. We thank You that You do not keep Your will from us. God, we thank You that You are not incapable of communicating. And we thank You for this great book that is called the Bible that is Your gift to us. Father, we praise You that by Your Spirit You speak to us today that we can know You as the Good Shepherd, as the Good Master, as the True Father, whom we can come to know so well that we almost don't have to ask anymore. But even when we do ask, Lord, we thank You that You answer, and that Your answers are always acceptable and good, perfect and excellent for us. Lord, we love you as we sang earlier today, for you are so good to us, and we praise you this day in Christ. Amen.